I want to bring before you this morning a spiritual awakening that happened to a community that nobody would have expected it to happen to. It came to a people that no one would have expected would be hungry for the things of God. It came through a person that no one would have ever expected God would use for his kingdom and for his purposes. And I've really come here to say this this morning. If you are thirsty today for the things of God, if that is you, whatever condition you find yourself in, but you have made it to Bethesda Church today, if you are thirsty for the things of God, I'm here to tell you that you, can, that you have no idea what God can accomplish through your life if you're truly thirsty for him. Can I get an amen to that today? Take your Bibles quickly and go to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 4. The Gospel of John, chapter 4. Starting right at the beginning, the first verse. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John, though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired from the long walk, never forget, while on this earth, he was fully God and fully man. He got tired. Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised. Why? For Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. So she said to Jesus, you are a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said. And this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? <clears throat> Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Oh, please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, and then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Lord, I ask you to add your blessing to the reading of your holy word today. Please give wings to my words. Holy Spirit, would you come and penetrate hearts as we present the truth of your word in Jesus' name. And the church said... The majority of this fourth chapter of John speaks to us of two uh, distinct and yet inseparably interconnected elements. You need to have those two elements in your mind for us to go through this fourth chapter of John this morning. First, there are seasons where God is speaking to a people in a way that we are most likely very unaware. There are seasons where God is speaking to a people whether we know it or whether we don't know it, in fact, 
most likely we are completely unaware when God is speaking to, to people. God may be right now speaking to people in this society that you and I would never dream that he's speaking to. When we look at the eighth verse of our text, we see that the disciples had gone into the, into the village to uh, get some McDonald's. They were preoccupied with the needs of the day, preoccupied with provision and food and the general concerns that can occupy the attention of any of us on any given day. I'm quite sure there's some in the house right now. You're concerned about food because I can hear your stomach growling all the way up here, okay? But, oh, that's my stomach that's growling. I thought that was yours. What's interesting is that right at the moment of their preoccupation, Jesus is undertaking something of which the disciples have no knowledge whatsoever. Sometimes it's easy for the church to think that we're the only ones who can speak to this generation. Might I remind you this morning that God, our God, who we've sung this morning, is greater, is stronger than anything. Our God is well able to speak to anyone he chooses and to do it at any time he chooses. How many think that's the truth today? So the first basic element as you really examine this fourth chapter of the Gospel of John is that there are seasons where God is speaking to a people in a way that we're not aware. The second important element of this chapter shows up about two-thirds of the way into it. And it's he's speaking to us as a church, as his church, of a source of strength that is available to us. In verse 31, we see that the disciples had returned from the village, and we didn't read this far, but let me read verse 31 for you now. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food that you know nothing about. In other words, I have a source of strength of which you are not yet a partaker. You do not yet understand where this strength comes from. Can you just imagine with me for a moment how perplexing, if not frustrating, that must have been to those disciples who spent their entire day finding food? And they come back and only to hear Jesus say, oh, that's okay, no thanks, I'm not hungry. I have a food source that you don't have access to, though you will in, in the future. Now this entire scene of the fourth chapter of John begins in a journey to a place where there lived a people who the religious Jews considered unworthy of salvation. Now I, if, I'm going to ask you to... Um, cut me a little slack here this morning because I got to paint a picture for you. And if I paint, as I paint this picture, if I do it correctly, I have to speak of things that were culturally true for us to truly understand the, uh, the tension between the Jews and the, and the Samaritans. The people of, Samara, of, of uh, Samaria were seen by the Jews to be a people of impurity and mixture. And in the opinion of the Jews, if these people worshipped at all, it was most certainly at the wrong place. And this all happened because 
The Samaritans had been conquered at one point in their history, and the conquering nation had brought in people of other cultures and other uh, nations and other ethnicities. That was the way that the conquering nation hoped to keep their stranglehold on the nations that they conquered. And so the people of that part of Israel had become intermarried and intermixed with people from other nations. And, and the Jew who regarded his lineage as pure and would have placed value on the purity of his lineage would have considered the Samaritans to be a mixed people who worshipped in the wrong place. Now, let's get something straight of where we are in 2021. We're all a mixture of something by this point. Norwegian, uh, Italian, Heinz 57, whatever we are. We're all some kind of mixture. Can all the mixture people say hallelujah? Hallelujah. Okay, there's a bunch of us here today. So in verse 20 of John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman said, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Every one of us knows somebody just like this today. They're culturally mixed. They appear to have a form of godliness. Everyone in our society today has some kind of hope for the future. They're striving in the best way they know how for the concept of family or the concept of blessing, and they have a marginal knowledge of God. But the Jews felt like those who were mixed like this, even if they did have a form of worship, it was so in the wrong place. And the division between the Jews and the Samaritans had become so bitter that they would not even speak to each other. Does any of that sound familiar to you today? Maybe that's just happened in history, right? Two different cultures within the same geographical boundary. And they were so juxtaposed one to another that they had ceased to even speak to each other. In fact, they had even ceased to travel through each other's territory. So understanding all that tension that was there, it was quite a phenomenal thing for Jesus, who was a Jew, to stop in this place of mixture called Samaria, to sit on a well and to initiate a conversation with a Samaritan woman. Now the history of the people of Samaria included this well, this particular well. Uh, This well represented a promise that the blessing of God was or would one day be theirs, the Samaritans, as well as it was for others. It was an important well. The promise it contained had great value to them. Verses 5 through 7 of our uh, John chapter 4 text give us this description. It said, the well was on a plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And by the testimony of this woman, Jacob himself had drawn Uh, water from this well. It was upon this well that this woman of Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her as we read, please give me a drink. Please give me a drink. He was fully God and fully man, which means he got thirsty. But you know what, as I was reading this and, and just preparing for you this morning, it was a reminder to me thinking of Jesus simply saying, give me a drink. Uh, There was another moment when Christ was on the cross and he cried out, I thirst. You remember that, right? I thirst. I find it amazing 
as I dig into this idea that there is a thirst in the heart of God for every man and for every woman. Every child is created in his image. Every descendant of Adam that was lost due to sin coming into the heart of humanity in the garden. Have you considered today that there is a thirst in the heart of God for you? No matter if you're walking with God today or if you've never walked with God, there is still a thirst in the heart of God for you today. And I want to say to you who are listening, who are truly listening, this thirst in the heart of God for you, if you're, not, if you're not walking with the Lord today and consider yourself outside of the place of true blessing of God, if that's where you find yourself today, I want you to know there is a thirst in God's heart for you. He wants you. He longs for you. And there is a thirst within him. There's a yearning uh, within him for you. Yes, he, he was asking for a drink of water. But physical water wasn't the issue. The thirst was much deeper than that. Christ had come to earth to do the will of his Father, we know, of course, and he knew full well that it was not the Father's will that any should be lost. Excuse me. Jesus had come to reclaim that which had been taken captive by sin. How many are thankful for it today? Now, this well was originally given to Joseph who you will remember was separated from his brothers. He was betrayed and he was sold off into slavery. I think the Samaritans probably felt the same way, very much the same way. I'm sure they felt like they were, had been betrayed. It wasn't their fault they were taken into captivity. And just like Joseph, they were brought into a foreign place and found themselves intermingled with people of another nation, just as Joseph was. At the end of his father Jacob's days, uh, Jacob, he gave to Joseph, his son, a double portion or a double blessing. Uh, this blessing from Jacob to his son Joseph included this, a piece of land in the promised land upon which this well was established by Jacob. That's how it ended up there. And the people of this land would have felt that there was a promise of God that came with this well from Jacob to Joseph. We find that promise in Genesis chapter 49. You don't have to go there. Let me just read a couple of verses to you. I'm starting at verse 22 where it says this. Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a well. His branches run over the wall. So the people of Samaria coming to this well every day knew this promise. They knew that's what had been said, even if it was passed on by oral tradition. They would know and believe that this land and this well is a sign that God is going to bless them one day. How many of you want a blessing from God today? It's the promise of God, even though we find ourselves mixed and in a place where the religious of our day say that we're not worthy of any kind of situation, and they tell us that our worship is all wrong and our focus is all wrong, and that somehow we're not pure. But still, the Samaritans would say, there is a promise to us, and that promise is resonating in every heart, no matter 
what they are pursuing. No matter how they were looking for love in the world, there was still a promise that was resident within their heart that God would come to them and he would bless them. Still speaking of Joseph, in Genesis 49, the scripture goes on to say this. The archers have bitterly grieved him, shot at him, and hated him. And oh, how the Samaritans would identify with this scripture speaking of Joseph, son of Jacob. But his bow remained in strength, and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From there, there, is, there, from there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. By the God of your father who will help you, and by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lies beneath, blessings of the breasts and of the womb that speaks of family blessings, the blessings of your of your father have excelled the blessings of my ancestors. In other words, Jacob is saying to Joseph, I'm giving you a blessing that is bigger than any blessing that was ever passed down to me. I'm telling you, God is going to bless you. And the scripture goes on to say, up to the utmost bound of the everlasting hills, they shall be on the head of Joseph. In other words, here at church, no matter how far you are sold off into slavery, no matter how far you go, you cannot outrun the blessing that God is going to send you. Did you hear me today? No matter how far you've gone, to the person who's sitting here, main floor or balcony, or watching online, I talk to people every week who feel like they've gone too far. God can't possibly reach me. I'm telling you, there is nothing you can do. There is no place you can hide. There is no place that you can go where you can outrun the blessing that God wants to give you. And on the crown of the head of him who was separate from his brothers. Don't you think, when you read that, it has to be that the people of Samaria would have identified with this? They were shot at. They were separated. They were, in their own minds, betrayed. They were put away from their brothers. They were considered mixed and therefore not worthy. And yet, there's this promise of blessing, this promise of family, this promise of life, this promise of hope. And it's all carried in this woman of Samaria as every day she comes out of the city to draw water. Now, Let's look at this woman a second. She was clearly a seeker of God because her first question when she perceived that um, Christ was a prophet by her own testimony, her first question was about worship. Where is the right place to worship, she asked. Our father said we're to worship here, but you Jews say that we're to worship in Jerusalem. And so day after day after day, she comes to this well, dropping her bucket down, knowing the promise that from this deep place of blessing, you're going to have children, you're going to have family, and every day she comes here, but by her own admission, she's given up on family. She's given up on marriage. She's had one, two, three, how many? Four, five husbands. Five husbands. None of those worked out. And now she's living with a sixth guy. 
Can't you see her coming every day asking, where's the promise? Where's, where is this promise? Why should I still trust in this? God, you said you were going to bless me here at this well. And so, one more time, I'm going to come out, I'm going to draw water, and I'm going to hope for some sort of blessing. I, it's been year after year, day after day that I've done this. I'm going to, and one more time, she comes with thirst in her heart, and guess who is sitting at the well? Oh, somebody, somebody ought to get that this morning. Guess who's sitting at the well? Remember, the promise of God from Jacob to his son was that there is a blessing coming your way, Joseph, that is deeper than anything my forefathers ever gave to me. And I'm passing it on to you. And lo and behold, here's the son of God sitting at the well. Oh, hallelujah indeed. And you know what, church? She becomes the first person that Jesus ever fully identified himself to. He said, I am the Christ. You search, search it out in scripture. He's the first person he ever, I, I am the Christ. He was a mystery to the religious. He spoke to them in parables. And up to this point, he had never fully identified himself. But to this thirsty woman, who was simply looking for a place to worship and who is wondering if there really is a blessing that God has for her life, he tells her straight out, I, I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. I am the one that God has sent to be the blessing for your life. And then we know that later on in the chapter, Jesus says, so go get your husband. And she replies by saying, I have no husband. To which Jesus said, you got that right. You've had five husbands. And the dude you're now living with is not your husband. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. <laughs> he read her mail. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped? Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews, but the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. In other words, you have to deal with the truth about where you are right now. If you're going to be a worshiper of God, and you're going to be one who worships in spirit and in truth, you've got to deal with the truth. Don't just skip over that verse and say, that's nice words, I like truth. No, 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 no. Truth about you. You have to deal 
with the truth about you and where you are right now. That's where it all begins. Many, many people want the blessing of God, but are not willing to deal with the truth about where they presently are and what they're presently doing. It's good preaching, Dan. They don't like it, but it's just keep going. In her case, she seemed to have given up on the concept of family. She was bound by the tradition of coming every day to the same place, to draw from this same well, always hoping for a different result. And you know what? That's very much like the person today who comes to church week after week after week, somehow hoping that you're going to hit the spiritual jackpot this Sunday, and you're hoping it's going to transform your life, but you have no real desire to deal with the reality of where you are. Am I telling you the truth? No real desire to deal with what, you're, with what you're doing, what you're really doing, or how you're living, or what kind of relationships that you're in. You want to come to church and hit the magic button or, or hope and pray that the musicians and the singers sing the right song. You've got to worship him in spirit and in If you're going to know the blessing of God, there are certain things you have to get up and walk away from. And there are other things you have to get up and walk toward. Somebody give me some support here. That's how you start on the road to the blessing of God. And when she said to Jesus, give me this water that you speak of, she was essentially saying this. Give me this promise of satisfying my soul in such a way that I will not have to look to the things of this world. That's what she was saying. Or tradition or effort, or any such thing for satisfaction ever again. That's the kind of water I want to partake of. That's the promise I'm looking for. Oh, God, give me that which will satisfy the thirsting in my soul. So first, she had to deal with the truth about where she was in her life. Secondly, to worship God in spirit and in truth, you also have to deal with the truth about where God promises to take you. You must say in your heart, God, I will leave and walk away from trying to find happiness and fulfillment in my own effort and with my own resources and by my own strength. And God, I choose to believe that you will take me where I need to go. I know this seems so simple and elementary this morning, but some of you need to come right to that face-to-face today. I don't know why there's resistance in your heart. I don't know. It could be all kinds of reasons. I'm sure you can justify it and defend it until the cows come home. But at some point, you've got to recognize if you're going to truly be a worshiper in spirit and in truth, you've got to come to grips with the, the, the act of submission of your will to the will of God. God, I choose to believe that you will take me where I need to go. You will give me the strength to become everything that you're calling me to be. You will take me there by the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of your word. I will worship you in spirit and in truth. I will no longer call evil good. And I will no longer call good evil. I will deal honestly with you, God, and I and believe your word that what you say is sin is sin. And I will not try to justify it anymore in my life. 
I'm going to go where you call me to go. I'm going to become what you call me to become. I'm going to do everything you call me to do by the grace of Almighty God. And then guess what? God, I'm going to do that and surrender myself. I'm going to truly declare that Jesus Christ is Lord over my life. He's the boss of my life. He's the one in charge. And then when I get back in the house of God, I'm going to lift my hands I'm going to give God praise, and by the strength of my helper, the blessed Holy Spirit, I'm then going to open my mouth and be quick to say, God, only you could have done what happened in my life this week. Who has a praise on their lips today? Who has a song on their heart today? Scripture says in chapter 4, verse 28, the woman left her water jar beside the well And ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. You see, there was something so completely different about this encounter that she had. Something completely different. And here's what I would perceive she's telling the people of the city. She's saying this. This man, a Jewish man a Samaritan, a prophet as she felt he was, or potentially even the Christ, the Messiah who would tell us how to worship God. He told me everything I had ever done, but there was no condemnation with it at all. He told me everything I've ever done but with such love and such an offer of a hope for the future. He didn't condemn me like others do. Come see this man. He knows everything I've ever done and yet I still feel so loved in his presence. And he offers me a water that he says will satisfy my soul. He offers me eternal life. Come see this man. Can you see the ruckus that she's creating? As the word starts spreading and everyone starts stirring and and they head out of the gates of the village and move toward Jacob's well, this place of promised blessing that was supposed to come to them. And then the disciples start coming back from McDonald's, which I think very much could be a type of the church. Don't read stuff into that. So easily concerned about ourselves, so our welfare. I'm talking about you and me, okay? Probably more me than you. So concerned and preoccupied with our health, our well-being, our future, our finances. Frankly, very self-focused. The church can easily become very self-focused. And they come back out of the city to meet back up with Christ completely clueless as to what's been going on while they were away. So they urged him to eat. We read that. But he responded that he had uh, food to eat which they did not know of. And again, I'm I'm just getting a visual on that. Did you give him food? Check that sack. Did Did he get a burger out of that sack? Did you give him food? No. Did you give him food? Did someone go get him some Chick fil A while we were? Oh, no, this is Sunday. Verse 34, then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest, but I say, wake up.
most versions say, lift up your eyes and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. Folks, this is incredible. I'm trying to hurry and get you out of here at a respectable time, but I really need to unpack this. I'm going to be quick. Can I preach? All in favor, say aye. Aye. I'm not going to ask about the nays. (laughs) But this is incredible. Jesus says, you are constantly talking about the day of harvest. Folks, I've been in the church all my life, 40 whole years. What are you laughing for? Some of you have been in the church longer than I have. 40 years plus a little, okay. We're always talking about the day of harvest. But he says to them, but you speak of it in the future. Now get this. You're always saying, oh, there's going to be a great revival. I think revival's coming. Wish I had a dollar for every person that said to me, oh, I think God's about to really do something in Bethesda. I'd be a rich man today. It's going to be a great revival. There's going to be this incredible turning to God one day. People are going to come from the north, the south, the east, and the west. The kingdom of God is going to advance, and the harvest is coming. The harvest is coming. But we push it off into the future. For surely it couldn't be today. Surely it's not yet because it, it, this doesn't look like the revival looked like when I was a kid. Let me tell you about revival. Here's what happened when we had revival when I was a kid. And this don't look like that. So we're pushing it off into the future. Surely not yet. We haven't had time to plan it. You know, we've been busy buying food. Had to go. It was a long walk and had to get all that and carry it all. You, you see, and Jesus says, wake up. Wake up, church. Wake up. Lift up your eyes. And suddenly they look up, and there's like a dust cloud in the horizon heading their way with a multitude of people coming toward them. Samaritans. Lift up your eyes. The harvest, the harvest is already white. Verse 36 says, the harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying, one plants and another harvests, and it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work, and now you will get together the harvest. In other words, the people are coming your way. I've been speaking to them when you didn't know it, when you're busy doing whatever you're doing, other stuff, and now I'm asking you to reap what I have sown for those who can hear it today. This city is coming your way. In the name of Jesus, I declare it. The city is coming. People you never expected, ever, to be interested in the things of God. You never expected them to be interested in things. You wrote them off years ago. You wrote them off. You wrote them off as they're in the enemy's camp. They're so mixed. If they have any concept of God, it's so adulterated by now that they deserve to be cast away. You wrote them off. 
Come on, there are people in your life, you know that's true. You've decided it's just never going to happen. It's been too long you've been praying for them. I'm telling you, the harvest is, is white and it's ready for harvest. And suddenly you lift up your eyes, you wake up, and they are asking you a reason for the hope that is within you. And there you stand thinking this, where did that thought come from? Why would they be asking me? That's not like that. Who are you and what did you do with the person I thought you were? You see, while you and I have been busy, God has been speaking to them. He's done the planting. He's done the sowing. Because we are living in a society today, people, that are, that people who are tired, they're tired in this generation of evil speech. They're tired of lies. They're tired of the propensity to violence. They're tired of division. They're tired of the destruction of home and family. They're tired of confused children. They're tired of opiate addiction in this city. People are tired, and while they've grown tired, God himself has been speaking to them. God's been speaking to their hearts about life. He's been speaking about living water. He's been speaking about something that he alone is able to give. He's been speaking to them about their sin. He's been speaking to them about the practices in their lives that have kept them distanced from the incredible blessing that he wants to give them. So do not be surprised when they suddenly get up and start heading your way. Folks, we cannot push the harvest down the road. We are no longer able to say the harvest is coming. The harvest is here and it's ready. The harvest is now. Can I get a witness to that today? Jesus said, lift up your eyes. Wake up. The fields are already white for harvest. And all it took was a woman who was spiritually thirsty going about her routine. But she came upon the Son of God, heard the words of life from him, went to those in her community that you and I could not even reach, wouldn't even listen to us, and told them of the words of life which had spoken to her heart. And suddenly they get up and they start moving. They move toward, toward those who were closest to him. And he says, you see, I'm sending you to reap something for which you have not labored. God, give us a harvest. Say that with me. God. I'm sending you to reap something for which you have not labored. You're going to get to reap it, though someone else did the heavy lifting. And I'm sending you now to enter into their labors. You see, you and I today, Bethesda, I'm talking to you. You and I stand on the shoulders, if you will, of those who've gone before us and broke up the fallow ground. The dear lady who just passed away this morning, Betty Leslie's one of them. She broke up the fallow ground. I could give you names of incredible men and women of God who broke up the fallow ground for this fellowship, who found the very spot that the church you sit in today, who found this spot, purchased this land so that this church could then buy it from him. People who've paid the price, done the hard work, when there was nothing to show that anything positive was ever going to come. But we are so blessed. We get to gather the harvest. We get to bring it home. We get to bring it in, into completion. And the word of the Lord to us today is this. Will you enter into this labor with me? And if you do, you'll find a source of strength. You'll find a nourishment and a sustenance that you currently know nothing of. And it only comes when we're willing to do the will of the Father, reaching out to the addicted, the afflicted, and the homeless. Let the church say amen. amen. 
For those who are here today, I know the hour's late, I'm going to wrap up. Who are here today or who are watching online, who are thirsty and tired and you want a living and real relationship with God, I'm here to tell you it can be yours today. To walk with God means you must repent. Repent's not a pretty word, but can I see a show of hands of anybody in this house who's ever had to repent? Okay, you're in good company. To walk with God means you must repent. Repent of your sin. Admit who you are without God. Then simply pray, Lord Jesus, I need you to come in and be Lord of my life. And if you'll take me, God, I'm yours to command where you lead me. Salvation can be that simple and yet that deep and profound for you. Pastors, those who I've spoken of this morning, would you please come to the front quickly? And I want everyone to stand with me. We're going to dismiss in just a moment if you will kindly respect the house of God until we do so. If you'd like someone to pray with you to start or renew your walk with God, these folks are here to do that. Please step out and come forward and they will meet you here at the front. And for those of us who know Christ and are walking with him, maybe for a season you've been preoccupied with things that have dominated your attention, but if you want the strength of God and the blessing of God and his promises, it's time to get involved in his work. That's where your strength will be. That's where your provision will be. It's reaching out and believing that as you speak to other people and offer them what Christ has offered to you and you consider no person unworthy to speak to, no person has gone too far, no person too high, no person too low, with all of my heart, I believe that when we wake up to be the church God is calling us to be, we will find ourselves living in the finest hour of the church of the Lord Jesus. Let somebody say amen. Pastor Brent's going to lead us in a song. If you want someone to pray with you, come right now and let one of these pastors pray for you. In Jesus' name.